You're listening to episode 153 of the Voice in Canada podcast. Hey there, I'm Dr. Terry Fisher, one part physician, one part voice enthusiast, one big part Canadian, and one small part of our community, Northern Voice. Together, let's explore how voice technology is transforming our lives north of the border, and let's talk voice. Hey, welcome to the podcast. Boy, this is a really exciting podcast for me to be able to share with you. I am interviewing Adam Chire, and for those of you that don't know Adam, He is truly one of the visionaries, one of the leaders in voice technology, full stop. He is the co-founder of Siri, which was eventually sold to Apple. And he is also the co-founder of Viv Labs, which was eventually sold to Samsung to create Bixby. So when it comes to a guy that knows voice technology, uh, this is your man. We have a tremendous discussion here about Uh, his vision for voice assistance, where that started, his experience with decades in the voice space, as well as his vision of where voice assistance should be going. And well, are we going there or not? So this is a really, really interesting discussion. I think you are in for a real, real treat. Uh, This interview was a recording from the Voice Fluencer Show. Uh, My co-host for this interview was Ian Utili. And uh, without any further ado, I'm really excited to share this recording with you. Uh, Enjoy, and I hope you get lots and lots of takeaways from this uh, remarkable interview. Here is Adam Chire. Welcome to the show. Let's bring Ian up here as well. And it's good to have you back, Ian. Adam, how's it going? Great, great, great to be with you guys. It's a real pleasure to have you here. And Ian, welcome back again. Thank you so much. Adam, let's start off with some introductions. Um, You are, I mean, for people in the voice space, you are well-known. And so for a lot of people watching this, they probably have a sense of who you are, but I'm sure there are some people here that don't. So I'd love for you to take a moment or two and just introduce yourself to the audience. Sure. So I've been working with voice and and conversational assistant for a long time, since the early 90s. Uh, I'm best known as the co-founder of Siri, technical co-founder of Siri, which was the startup that sold to Apple to make Siri. And I also was co-founder of Viv Labs, which sold to Samsung, and that's powering the new Bixby Assistant. Incredible. I mean, you could just stop right there. We're done. That's, that's, that's a good conversation. <laughs> that, that, that's quite a resume, uh, Adam. And so, like I said, it, it, it's a real pleasure to have you on here. So we'd love to get your thoughts today on voice assistance over the, really the decades, because that's what you have, decades of experience in this, and also where you think it's going in the future. So maybe we can just kind of start with, I mean, how did you come up with the idea of Siri, first of all, or the the, the company that became Siri? Um, what are your thoughts on on that? And how did you first get involved with voice technology and voice assistance? And, and where where did where did you develop that line of thinking? Yeah, so I'm you know, I've been pretty consistent with the vision that I've had over my career. So in 1993, which was the year before I first saw a web browser, uh, Mosaic was my, came out in 1994. <laughs> I said, someday there are going to be computers around the world with content and services that we want to access. And I never thought we would use hyperlinks and documents and web pages to do that. The way I envisioned it is I thought everyone would have an assistant and you could say, I want to know this or I want to do that. And the job of the assistant would be to take that request, break it down into sub requests, route all the sub requests to the right machines around the world, perform the operations or gather the data, present it to the user, learn from those interactions and help the user get the job done. So for me, Siri or the assistants that I've been working on have always been about an interface, not the only one, but an interface to what I imagine to be the web, you know, services and content coming online dynamically. And in 1993, I actually built a prototype of that. Uh, It ran on a little tablet PC about this big. Uh, You had to connect it to a dial-up modem, 2400 bar (laughs) dial-up modem. You would pick up a phone 
with you know one of those cords on it. One of those cords. I don't know if you remember that, <laughs> but you would dial into a server, type in your your passcode into this, and if you had both the little terminal device and the phone, the two would pair if they were to log in as the same user. And then you could speak into the phone. The words would come out on the little PDA, the, the device. You could correct it with a pen, and then you could delegate your request to a dynamic set of services. And not only individual services, but combinations of services. In a typical request, some 10, 15 different services who did not know about each other would now start to be invoked to perform the request that you just asked. And as you added new services and new content on the fly, like as new sites were coming up on the web, on the fly, what you could say and do dynamically changed. And so it was a very, that was kind of my, my vision. I built it wow. 93, uh, over the nineties, I had something like 50 different iterations of voice assistants. I can tell you about some of those, but I've been trying to get this to the masses for 27 years, more than 27 years now. And I keep getting closer and closer and closer and Siri and Bixby, it's all along that path, that same vision of the assistant who knows you and really serves as your mediator to help you achieve requests. And you could do it through voice, through typing, through clicking, it's all part of one conversation where you make requests, it responds, you refine your requests, and, and you work to get a test done. So that, that's how I got started, 1993 at SRI International. Wow, incredible. What's, what did you, what's your educational background? I'm very curious. Like, what did you study? What, where did you go to school? That sort of thing. Sure. I, I have a, a very unusual degree. I have a Bachelor of Arts in Computer Science. You don't typically wow. get that. Usually people get Bachelor of Science in Computer Science. Um, but I went to Brandeis University undergraduate. Yeah. And for me, what was the most interesting thing in the entire universe was how people think, how we do what we do. There's so many miracles in who we are and what we do. Mm -hmm. And so my interest and pure focus was on learning about that. I took linguistics, I took psychology, philosophy, neuroscience, computer science, and all of it was just to try to get an understanding how we, which are the greatest miracles on this planet, how we do what we do. And, and that was really my career. I also did a master's um, at UCLA in artificial intelligence. Wow. Very, very impressive. Ian, thoughts? I'm just hearing, like, I, I, just, I just love hearing your thoughts, Adam, to be honest. Like, I just love hearing you yeah. speak. Uh, Ian, I don't know, what, come, what comes to mind when you hear that intro? Well, I'm here to listen. <laughs> I'm here to listen to you, Adam. But I do have I do have two. So let me start with this one because it ties to what you just said. Uh, I'm wearing this shirt because Terry and I are doing four back-to-back -back interviews. And I wanted to pick out a shirt that kind of represented the person we're talking with. And as I was going through my closet, I saw on earth as in heaven. I said, Adam represents that to me. Now, some people might think, well, that's because Adam started change.org. Or that's because Adam brought us Siri. That billion plus people have engaged with Siri or brought us Bixby arguably uh, the most developed of all the assistants in terms of uh, happiness of the users. When I think of you bringing heaven to earth, it's not the product that you bring, it's the example that you are to me. And so your faithfulness for 27 years is not just an example to me, but it's an example to all of your peers. And it's an example to all of the even younger people that are just thinking through like, gosh, how do I make an impact through my intelligence, my creativity, my willingness to risk, technology. And so I think this all ties to my question of, um, what are some of the difficult hurdles that you faced the last 27 years? How'd you overcome them to be here in 2020 and still be pushing forward with this vision, still being a present hero and example to me and others? Um, and what are maybe something that has not been a hurdle to overcome, but gas in the tank. That's like this thing or these things, like they've really helped me to be, to, to, to stick to it and not give up. Great I think question. my whole question is summarized in how have you become such a wonderful man of legacy <laughs> for me and others? Uh, well, that's, that's kind of flattering. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, Ian. So the best that I can say is, um, 
you know, if I inspire a few people along the way and serve as an example of kind of long-term persistence towards a vision, um, that's only because I had a mentor, I had an example who did that for me. And this person, is, his name was Doug Engelbart, and he is probably best known for creating the mouse, but really he is the father of personal computing. Wow. So he, he had the patent for the mouse in 62. And in 1968, at a time when computers were these machines that you would feed in punch cards to, like that was the human interface and wait three days and out would come punch cards. He built literally everything that we know about personal computers. The first interactive consoles with multiple windows, the first text editors, the first email systems, um, the first hyperlinked multimedia documents, the first video conferencing systems, just like we're doing now, um, the first collaborative document editing, like where Google Docs were. Um, and it was beyond, um, you know, he, the technologies that he had in 1968 running in 4K of RAM um, are beyond the capabilities that we have today in our standard internet, uh, et cetera. And so, he did all of this with a vision of his own. He said the computer's job is to augment human intellect. He said, we are going to be faced with problems that are so important in our lifetimes. And he's talking about climate change and pandemics and poverty and hunger and human rights and animal rights and just how do we save our planet? He said, the only way we will survive as a species is if we get better at solving global problems. And he dedicated his entire life, his entire career to getting there. And like I said, I think he's, he's made more change. He's formed what we use more than any other human being has. So there's huge accomplishment, but he was also frustrated that he never achieved his vision. He, he worked for some 60 years on it he passed away maybe five or six years ago. Uh, and he says, you know, despite having the internet, despite having all of these incredible, you know, powerful computers in our hands and, you know, global workers around the world, we are really not better at solving global problems. So he mm -hmm. taught me the, the, the hunger and the desire to proceed, to pursue a vision, you know, aggressively. He taught me the patience that, you don't just snap your fingers and change the world overnight. Um, but, you know, and he changed what he did was generation after generation of people who came after him were inspired in some way by what he did. Uh, Alan Kay, who created Smalltalk and the Dynabook, the first laptop computers, was in the audience when he did that demo in 1968 and was greatly, you know, and then on and on, myself and then younger people, there were generations of people who took something from his passion, his vision, and then went off and, and did things. And for instance, change.org, you mentioned, for me, when I helped start it with Ben Rattray, who's CEO and founder, it was a Doug, Doug Engelbart-inspired project, right? Mm -hmm. It was, how do you harness the collective intelligence of the world to solve global, complex problems? And 400 million members on change.org through a simple tool of the petition are actually making change in the world. So I, I like to, I have these two career threads, collective intelligence, and I'll call it the conversational assistant. I pursue both of them aggressively over the decades. Um, and, and if I can inspire someone along the way, maybe people will take some idea and then go off and create something else. But yeah, that, thank you for the, for the question. Amazing. You and also have an element of fun, like being the, music, <laughs> the magician. So can we talk about the third element, if I could add that third lane of the element of fun, the element of performance? I remember on session three of The Voice Den, you explained why you felt magicians were so closely aligned with entrepreneurs, because so much of it had to do with the showmanship and the like, look over here, wait, but you know, and there's, and there's an element, you were on Penn and Teller, one of their shows, uh, or was it? Yeah. Maybe it wasn't, it was, okay, yep. it was Penn and right. Teller. And so would you mind just kind of 
because you have these these two lanes, but would you mind talking about the lane of fun and of hobby and of challenge and things of that nature as well? Yeah, so um, I'm a huge advocate of becoming passionate about something. Uh, I was doing, quote, Siri, you know, decades before anyone was interested in it. And to me, it was fun. I was interested in it. It made me excited. It didn't make many other people excited, but I just loved it. It made it, it just, you know, it was something that I believed in and I wanted, I was curious and I wanted to pursue. Um, and I think that aspect, when I look back on my career, pretty much everything that I've done that I'm most proud of started not because it was my day job to do it. It started as a side passion project of some sort. And so lots of things, I, I when I get excited or passionate about something, I allow myself to follow that passion, even if it has no commercial purpose or I, something good will come out of it. Um, so magic is one of my hobbies. Um, I picked it up again. You know, I used to do it when I was a kid a little bit. Uh, five five years ago, you know, I fell into it again, and and I always go, you know, all in to, to what I do. So now I I get to hang out with David Copperfield at his house, and I get to, you know interact with some of the best magicians in the world. But why is, is magic more than just fun? Um, there is so much you can learn. And, and I do draw parallels between entrepreneurs and magicians. And I say that, what is magic? I mean, magic is, is a vision for, you know, both an entrepreneur and, an, and, and, a, and a magician need to imagine an impossible future. Because if it exists, you know, it's not, don't be an entrepreneur. Someone else will do it better. But if it's magical, mm. now you can start a company. And Siri, if you think about it, just 20 years ago, the idea we would pull a device out of our pocket or maybe 30 years ago, and you could just use your voice to task services, hundreds of thousands of services in a conversational way, that would be, and you could not only ask questions, but perform actions, that would have seemed like magic. Um, and so first you imagine a desirable future and then an, an impossible future, magical future, and then you work backwards and you figure out the math and science to make it come true. And that's what magicians do. They go, wouldn't it be cool to levitate? Mm. Well, it's not possible, but it would be cool if you could fly. How do I do that? And then David Copperfield can flew across a stage and into a box and they covered the box and he's still flying in the box and they take off the box. And it's like, I don't know, there must be some science or math behind it, but he realized an impossible future mm. and Siri and change.org and things of these things, any, any entrepreneurial effort is or should be a magic trick. And of course they're very practical lessons about, how do you present to an audience? What gets them excited? What surprises them? What, what's compelling? Um, and so really the entrepreneur pitch is very, very similar to a magician's magic show. It has all of those same elements. You wanna draw them in with a story. You wanna hit them at some moment with this surprise moment and maybe even a, a little bit of amazement. And then you, you can make it even better if you say, and now, let me let me let you into the secret. I'm going to tell you how the technology works. Right mm. now, they're now they're in it. They're bought in. So I, I see huge parallels between magic and entrepreneurship. A lot of it's I'm gonna just. I'm going to say, Terry. I'm going to say yeah. one last thing. Go ahead. For those watching the archive of this video, Amazon just came out with a new commercial for the Amazon TV box, and this person ironing the laundry is like, "Stop! Do the scene again. I missed it." <laughs> this is, the things that Adam just said in the last 10 minutes is worthy of you pressing back on the scroll and to listen to what Adam's saying over and over again. Adam is articulating things that I've experienced as I've only been an entrepreneur for 22 years. I've never, ever had a job. I've never raised money for any of my companies. What Adam is articulating can only be articulated through wisdom, understanding, and the long, long, long patient endurance of figuring out how to explain these very complicated truths. And so I encourage you strongly to pause for a moment 
and to go back and to think about what Adam's saying, and then to start looking and doing some self-reflection on are, are your actions as, as a voice technologist, as an entrepreneur, or anything that you're involved in that parallels this, are your actions, when you get self-reflective, do they match the words that Adam is saying? Or are you pretending like the things Adam is saying are inconvenient, and so you just don't want to, you just want to fly by them? Really meditate on what Adam's saying here because he's giving us information that is not articulated in this way by other people because of his life experience. Adam, thank you for the way that you communicate. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I want to add just one other piece. So as people are thinking about magic and entrepreneurship, you mentioned my, my act on Penn and Teller Fool Us. It's one of the most popular TV shows for magic. Um, and I did this performance, um, you know, sure, to amaze the audience. But there was a hidden message in my act for entrepreneurs. I tell entrepreneurs, this is exactly how to raise money from an investor. This is what you need to do for your company for your product to be able to sell your company uh, to investors or sell sell a product to customers. And so for some people watching it, they'll just see a magic show. Wow, how did he do that? But as you're thinking about this space, if you're an, an entrepreneur and you're interested in magic, or even if not, go watch that performance. You can find it on Penn, by typing Penn and Teller Fulas Siri uh, into Google. I'll come up. Um, but there is a, a specific, my, my trick is a specific example and lesson for the few entrepreneurs watching uh, on TV. But um, there, there's some life lessons from that, from that show. That is amazing. That is amazing. Um, Adam, I've, I've watched the trick. And yes, I was blown away by the trick. And just from what you said now, I feel like I have to go back and watch it again and look for this <laughs> for this hidden message in it. Because uh, yeah. I mean, I was certainly entertained, but now I, I want to watch it again with, with this new perspective. Um, we've got a comment here from the audience, and I just want to share this because it, it's, it, it really goes along with what we're saying here. This is from Bahubali Shete, and he says, Adam, the father of voice assistants, always great to hear him. Uh, and I think that sums up a lot of our, a lot of our, uh, our sentiments here. Adam, let's, let's shift and talk a little bit the future now. Talk a little bit about the future. And you've got this vast um, experience and wisdom, as Ian was, was alluding to. Now let's get you to put on your crystal ball or to, to you know, hold your crystal ball here and, and tell us what do you see 10 years out, 20 years out in the context of voice assistance? Where are we going with this? So uh, I'm a little bit biased. I mean, that's what 25 years of doing one thing is. It gives you a perspective. So take it with a grain of salt. But the message I have for the voice community is we're right now at a precipice and there are going to be some choices made in the next few years that will decide whether voice kind of stays as it is, which means it's a utility, it's useful, but it's not important. And I make this distinction. There's a utility and then there are paradigms. And I believe voice has the potential to be as important as the web and as important as mobile, if done right. Um, or it will continue, it's, it'll always be useful and it'll get more and more in our lives. But if I were to say to you, um, you know, you can't use a web browser for a week or you can't use your smartphone for a week, you'd be like, I can't live my life. I can't do my job. I can't do anything. If I say you can't use your favorite or all of your voice assistants today, you'd be like, ah, oh, that's inconvenient. Mm -hmm. Most people would not say, I can't function. We're not at that level. We are, you know, voice as an interface is not today as important as the web and mobile. And so we can ask, why is that or what will it take? Um, for me, there's this dynamic going, and it's a really interesting discussion. One is, does the voice, do we, do we fragment into 100,000 assistants where there's a separate voice assistant in every app, 
or device, mm -hmm. or do we consolidate into one assistant in a sense? Um, so, and you can see that tension um, between different visions. Another is the role of voice and apps. So of course on a speaker, we're gonna to talk to it. You can't really do anything else. But there are many more opportunities around screen-based things. There are televisions, there are phones, there are refrigerators that could have screens in them, there are smart watches. Um, and so the question is on these devices, there are apps. So should voice be again, kind of just an add-on feature to an app or is voice something higher, different level? that the conversational assistant is different than the experience. So those are two kind of tensions of is the assistant, is there one versus many? And what's the role of voice relating to the existing apps we have? And I see a lot of trending today towards fragmentation, largely, meaning, you know, brands, I know, and I understand this, brands say, well, I want, you know, I'm Hotel Tonight. I want Captain Obvious as my brand. And no matter what assistant they access it, whether it's an Alexa or a Bixby or whatever, I want my experience to be exactly the same. I want my assistant. And every single provider wants that. Um, you know, so that gets a very fragmented view. But each assistant will be very diff different from each other. The interaction with each maybe built with different technologies, different. So it creates a very fragmented experience. I've also seen a lot of trending towards more embedding voice in apps. Google Assistant is sort of heading that way and Siri's getting a little bit more like that. Um, so those are two trends. I personally, I mean, you guys know where I stand on this because you've seen my products. Uh, I believe that the assistant should be a mediator. So I want to highlight brands. Brands are important, but the job of the assistant in my mind is to know me and to help to know my preferences of which brands I like and which situations. Um, the assistant should be the, a single mediator that helps me interact with all the brands out there. And without that, if I have to remember every name and every command set for 100,000 assistants, I'm not gonna do it. I'm gonna stay with my top five, and that means voice will be restricted to the top five use cases for each user that I use. You have a different five, someone else a different, but I'm not gonna do a, a million things. It's, to me, it's like the web um, without a search engine. You would just have bookmark, 20, your 20 bookmarks of the sites you'd know about and use, and you would go and you'd use them directly, and that's it. I don't think that the web would have taken off without a search engine. And for me, I really yearn for a single assistant that when I interact with it conversationally, there are some principles that I know are very, very consistent. So for example, with Bixby, one of the things you get for free from the platform at Bixby is when the assistant asks you a question, because it was an AI who wrote that, not some human who's hardwired it in, the user will know that if they respond consistently, it will never ask that question again. Mm -hmm. And if like, if you say, get me a ride, get me an Uber, do you want UberX or do you want Uber SUV? If every time in the morning, I always take the cheap one, but on weekends, I always take the SUV to impress my girlfriend or whatever. It'll learn that and stop asking you. So you get a ride and it will automatically get you the UberX or the SUV. But maybe occasionally you will um, say, oh, today, this weekend, I want the stretch limo or the whatever. Everyone will know there's one place in Bixby you can go where it'll say, I inferred this. I guessed you wanted this, so I didn't ask you but you can go and change it and override it and it'll learn from that. So that's like a platform level feature that no matter which domain, no matter which brand you're working with, that's a built-in capability that you come to rely on. Uh, if you say, you know, book a restaurant three Thursdays after the fourth, um, you know, the fourth month of June, you know, fourth day of June, and it works, you should be able to use that expression for any domain. 
right? It should be consistent. If you say, you know, find me, you know, hotels, find me restaurants near my house, it should say, where do you live? Do you want me to remember that? Yes, I do. Now I should be able to say, find movie theaters near my house, right? One assistant. But today with fragmentation, you know, there's no way that an interaction with one domain is gonna cross over or carry to another domain. And, and I just, I fear that if we get, if voice becomes too much, just a, a feature add-on to an app mm -hmm. or becomes too fragmented where users now are forced to tell a thousand assistants different preferences, have a thousand different interaction styles that aren't consistent with each other, that it just adds too much cognitive burden, which will limit users to a very small, just just the few use cases they want to use. And then we're uh, stuck, meaning stuck at the utility, but not it's not going to be the web. It's not going to be mobile. Mm. Uh, the, the second thing that I will give you on, on my future prognostications, if there are any entrepreneurs and voice out there, I'm going to give you what I see as the greatest opportunity just waiting for some assistant technology company to come along and solve and i know it can be solved because the original siri solved it in my mind mm -hmm. and there's many ways to solve it and that's discovery so people do not know what an assistant can do or can't do they don't know the boundaries of scope and yet all of these are very reliant on having scope. If I say, find me a French restaurant, can I say, find me a French restaurant with a view of Golden Gate Bridge? I, I'm not sure. Maybe it's in there, maybe not. Not, not. not sure. I don't remember. Right. And so we need a way. And, and obviously, if you're only speaker based, you can't do really great discovery on, on a speaker. It's just too hard to understand all the things you can do. But Assistants can traverse screens and speakers, et cetera. And if it's the same assistant, you can do discovery on your TV or your phone, learn that, and now I can apply that knowledge, that scoped knowledge um, on a speaker or if I'm driving in my car, for instance. And so this notion of discovery, um, I think, is not done well by any assistant out there. Um, it's not about documentation. It means you have to help me get to my task and along the way expand what I realize the system can do as I'm heading to my task and also contract the user's behavior to what I can do. Um, the original Siri app had a way to do that. We were at something like 95% task completion success rate, 95% in 2010. And this is when NL and speech were way more primitive. Now, why could we achieve that success rate, which is way higher than any assistant on the market today of the big assistants? It's because users knew what they could say and what they couldn't say. <laughs> and, and, and we had three modes. There was type, talk, or tap, and a guided system that would help them go from beginner to advanced to, to, to expert on any along the path for all the domains. You might be expert at restaurants, but not so good with hotels. So you haven't used it as much, or you haven't used it for a while. So now you used to be expert, but now you're intermediate. So there needs to be a way to kind of move users through that space. Voice is an expert modality which means if I know what is capable of can be done, it's the fastest way to get there. Mm -hmm. But if I'm not sure, if I'm not an expert and it might fail, I feel bad as a user and I'm not going to use this product anymore because I failed and I don't like that. So mm -hmm. voice and conversation needs to be move you seamlessly along a path to help you get that job done the role of voice is as an accelerator for an intermediate or expert user. But if you don't know what the system can do and you ask and it fails, you know, you're not going to use it and we'll be, we'll be continually stuck 
again, being a utility useful for 10, th five things, seven things per user, that's not the internet. That's not, that's not even a smartphone. So, so for me, the, 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 the things I would say is if just finding a right way to do discovery for a conversational assistant, and I think it mostly has to involve using screens to help build the knowledge and then transferring that learned, okay, I know it can do that now to, to speakers. So that multimodal aspect expect is really important. And also to be wary of, you know, I'm just, I'm afraid of too much fragmentation or too much voice as an app. I, I can see the short-term appeal of both of those, mm. but I am afraid for the voice community that this will lead us down a cul-de-sac that will keep us from the potential glory that we could achieve, which is that the voice interface is used for everything. Every I always say when voice is, is a paradigm as important as the web, it will impact every connected user and every connected industry. And today in a significant way, that means a, a significant part of the computing that businesses and people do will be driven through a voice channel. I think we can get there, but if we don't solve discovery and if we allow ourselves to get too fragmented or too tied into app GUI displays, um, I, I'm, I worry that the voice community will get there. So that's, well, wow, that's absolutely fascinating. And um, I would love to see voice be that paradigm shift that you talk about. Are there yes. specific concrete things that you could share or to, to companies, to entrepreneurs, actions that they could take to help shift that momentum more towards the, the, the paradigm that you're speaking of versus the fragmentation? Like if somebody's yeah. coming to you, like, how do we get there? What, what are the next steps? What do people have to work on, concentrate on? I've tried twice. I will probably try again at some point in, in my career. Um, I've always been about getting the right set of platform and tools. I, I think of it as like when Microsoft Windows came out, um, computing really took off for more mainstream. What did it bring? It brought common elements of dialog boxes and menus. You know, there's a file edit print menu and Alt-F, no matter which application you're using, Alt-F will get you the file menu. So there was some commonality. It's the same for augmented reality and virtual reality. You need to get the base interface components that are consistent across every single experience, voice app, let's say. So I believe in the role of the platform um, and doing that well is incredibly important. And, and, but, you know, to get a platform, developers to care about a platform, you need users. And to get users to care about a platform, it needs to be where they are. And, and there needs to be good stuff, right? So it's this, you have to grow this chicken and egg kind of problem. So it's not easy. So I've often built technology companies. I've gone the acquisition route. I go, well, I could have stayed independent, but then I need to get build my own devices or how do I get it to a billion devices? For me, the easiest way was to go to an Apple or go to a Samsung. I go, if I've got the platform, which is designed to be an ecosystem, and the original Siri was, although Apple lost sight of that vision while we were there, um, uh, it, you know, get this thing out to a tech company who can put it on a, a gazillion devices. Now it's where users are. That is attractive to developers, come uh, and, and publish using these great new tools to all those devices. Now users start to find out about it and you can grow the ecosystem. I still think that's the best, the best way. Um, that's the best way I know how. Um, I've you know, tried it at, um, at Apple and I'm hopeful maybe Samsung Bixby will, will achieve that. I think many of the elements are in place. Bixby's on 200 million devices. Uh, it's for developers. It's the fastest way to build an experience where literally in minutes you can build a voice experience that will deploy immediately on TVs and phones 
and refrigerators and smartwatches and speakers, et cetera, with no code changes. It's, it's, it's probably the only platform I know of that will automatically adapt um, this ex their experience across devices. And the idea is now that you can deploy one assistant app across many devices, you can now learn how to use it with a screen and then employ that when you're wireless or hands-free driving your car, using a speaker or something like that, or headphones. So that's the path that I've taken. Um, I still think there are places where even Bixby falls down. It does not have discovery solved yet. Um, that's a big problem and a big opportunity, I think, for entrepreneur, entrepreneurs out there. But I still believe there's huge opportunity that the voice, we've made so much progress on the core technologies. I mean, when I started in 93, you had to speak to a recognizer like this. They didn't have continuous speech back then. It was discrete speech. You had to train, you had to train your voice. Now speech recognition is you know, relatively marvelous. And natural language understanding has come a long way, but we're still waiting for that aggregated platform that can do good discovery, let the user have their choice of which brands to interact with for that request that they just expressed in a natural way, be able to do it in conversational multimodal. And, and I think um, the first you know, company who achieves this, I think just like the web was the dominant paradigm for 10 years. Mobile was the dominant paradigm for 10 years. I think voice could be that important. And the company that pulls it off will be the dominant um, technology company for a decade. Um, so I, I think there's a lot at stake. Um, I, I haven't yet seen anyone hit it out of the park. I think their entrepreneurs can come solve it and, and show it to big companies and and let's or or become a big company and then let's get it out there and do it. I think there's huge opportunity. That's great. Mm -hmm. That's great. It sort of ties back into the whole magician uh, thing, right? And you know, envisioning this future and then making it happen. And I, yeah. I think that's wonderful. Um, I want to be respectful of your time, and I know we're getting close to the end here. Um, Ian, any any final comments or final questions for for Adam? This has been a wonderful, really really great discussion. Well, Adam, one day I'd love to spend more time with you, learning from you. Let, let me let let me end with this question: If so, there are entrepreneurs like myself that, when they hear what you've said the last ten minutes, my heart's like, I sure hope that me and my team are fulfilling what Adam's talking about here. It feels like. It's us or one of our collaborative partners that are going to accomplish some, if not the goal that you're discussing. So my question on this is, if that's true, only time will tell. But if that's true, what do you believe are the benefits of staying independent, not raising money, becoming independently, uh, still independent, but raising money and becoming acquired or hired and going to one of the big companies when it's the right time, because there are three different pathways. My path I've always taken is complete independence. Clients fund our company. The path that we're considering today for our existing company, Attention Live, is to raise money and stay independent. And there's always that potential of a any of the big companies saying, can you please build this in here? It's better for us for you to build it in here. It's better for you. Do you have any light yeah. thoughts on those paths, please? Yeah, great question. Thanks, Ian. So I divide, I'll divide companies, entrepreneur companies into two classes, platform and app. If you're an app, you have the whole package. You have the thing. I, I start to think of kind of the things you do is, is it's a little bit in the middle. So it's an, it could go either way, but say you're Instagram, you're the app and your value is, can you get a ton of users? Can you get people to buy into your experience that you've created at scale? And if you can, and if you can make money from that, you can stay independent and grow. Maybe your WhatsApp, what's WhatsApp? 
It's another example. It's all about the marketplace. You know, they've created so many users for their product. Now they were acquired for gazillion dollars because they were on a trajectory that um, they would have taken over be bigger than Facebook or something like that. So mm -hmm. Facebook, is, oh, let's quick, let's buy them for 35 billion while they're still small, right? right. Um, so an app, it, but it's tricky you know, to get the dynamics right, to, to be self-sustaining, to make that much money, to get that many users. But it's a great path. If you can do it, if you can find something that really attracts and you can get the growth and revenue, you can go all the way. You can be IPO, you can be a huge company. There's another path, which is the platform company. Um, so change.org for me is an app. There's no technology you can take out we started it and we grew it from 1 million to 25 million to 100 million. Now it's 400 million. It's, it's an app. Um, yes. Siri and Viv Labs were technology infrastructure or platform companies. Yes, we had a demonstrator. We had a, hmm. an app, but it was really not the app we were selling. It was not the core value. It was the technology. And for me, the technology platform is best you know, you need to get distribution. I said, this is the fastest way if I can find an Apple or a Samsung to put it on a billion devices, that guarantees this will have some level of impact. Now, the problem is when you sell, you lose control of the app, right? Mm -hmm. Apple could say, here's the technology, we're gonna make it this. And Samsung could say, "We're gonna here's the technology, we're gonna make Bixby that, right? And they bought it, so they can. But the, hopefully, in my mind, the technology that's underpinning it will allow things to happen with the right qualities. And you know you can get it onto a billion devices. So I don't know. I, I would say it's, it's a little bit different. It depends kind of what you're creating. I think both are valid. Um, but if, if you've got an app more than a technology, stay independent, make money, get users. If you're more of a platformy kind of thing, and, and you think it's a game-changing technology, but it could be used for different applications and you don't care as much about the specific app, what goes into it, then, then I think acquisition is a good, a good path because you can get impact that way. It's very helpful. Thank you, Adam. I appreciate that. Wonderful. Adam, uh, thank you so much for spending this time with us. Um, I, I don't know how to say it otherwise. Sincerely, truly, I really, really appreciate this. It's absolutely wonderful to hear you speak about uh, your experience and your and your vision for for uh, for the voice. And I hope, like you, that we are going to be experiencing a true paradigm shift uh, with voice because I think the potential is there. So, um, thank you so much. Um, where can listeners, viewers, go to learn more about what you're working on or otherwise connect with you? What resources would you like to share? Sure. Um, I'd say, you know, my latest work and thinking for over the past eight years is, is best seen at BixbyDevelopers.com. Um, you know, Bixby has an open marketplace. It has the most, in my view, and in and, and many developers' view, the most sophisticated tools and platform available from any of the big players. Um, and it's really based on kind of a democratic model where when you say what's the weather to alexa that's going you know which wet which weather provider is selected is going to be determined based on some deal that amazon has done hmm. every user when you deal say what's the weather to bixby you can choose out of the marketplace which weather provider fits you best different people different strokes for different folks so it's a very equitable marketplace the technology has a very different spin um, than any other platform out there. Uh, it is on hundreds of millions of devices today. It has, uh, you, you build a Bixby capsule, kind of like a, an Alexa skill, and you can deploy it on many different device types with no code changes needed, and you can tune it if you want to. So I think, I think it has a lot of my ideas about where the future should go for voice. So even if your business is based on a different assistant, I think it's worth taking a look at some of the ideas and approach and technology 
Um, so that's where I'd say is the best place to, to get my, uh, your thoughts. And of course, uh, my website is adam.shire.com. Occasionally I post something there about magic or, or maybe about voice. Wonderful. Well, Adam, um, again, what can I say? Absolute pleasure to, to have this time with you, to chat with you, to hear your thoughts. Um, uh, you're one of those people that uh, I, I think uh, already has a huge impact on this world. And uh, uh, I think there is still so much more that we're going to be seeing from you. And uh, I look forward to that. So thank you again, Adam. It's, uh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thanks. Great hanging out with you guys. Well, I hope that you enjoyed that interview. I enjoyed that immensely. As you could hear, Adam truly is a remarkable person. And I, every time I get a chance to speak with him or hear him speak, I am blown away by uh, his uh, level of uh, depth and the thought that goes into uh, his vision of voice assistance. So I encourage you to follow along with the work that he is doing. I'm sure it's just a matter of time till, uh, till we see him again doing something even bigger and better. So uh, again, my, uh, my thanks goes to Adam and I look forward to staying in touch with you, Adam, personally. I want to remind you, the listener as well, to please make sure that you have subscribed to this podcast. Uh, we have lots of great interviews coming up as well. And I want to let you know about a brand new channel where we can interact in real time, and that is on Clubhouse. Clubhouse is a new social media platform that is voice-based. Uh, unfortunately, right now it's in beta, so it's only available on iOS devices. Nevertheless, I encourage you to join Clubhouse, connect with me there. My username is Dr. Terry Fisher, D-R-T-E-R-I-F-I-S-H-E-R, -E -E and I am hosting weekly rooms where we can just chat about voice. Those are on Wednesdays every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Pacific under the Voice Den brand, uh, except for weeks when we actually have the online event of the Voice Den. And in that case, we push the Clubhouse meeting back an hour to have a, an after party after the online event of the Voice Den. So I encourage you to connect with me there. I'd love to see you there. I'm spending a fair bit of time on Clubhouse and I can't wait to chat with you on that platform. Have a wonderful week and I will talk to you again very, very soon.